If you decided to listen to this week's message of Doxaday Central, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. We are in uh, the series that's actually setting the tone for this year, and it's all about love. It's a series where we're looking at what's the one thing, if we take it out of Christianity, it becomes a dead straw man like Mr. Shawman here in front with me. So it looks like Christianity. It's dressed up like Christianity. It says all the right things as Christianity says, but there's one ingredient missing that makes it alive, and that is love. And that's what we're trusting God for. Can I just say, I'm not trusting God for us to start doing a little bit more loving acts. I'm trusting that it would become the culture of this family. So much so that when people walk in here, they just like, they're overwhelmed by just God's presence, his loving presence in our midst. Now, in week one, we looked at this new movement Jesus brought, and he says it's new, it's not just improved, so it's not just a dressed up old straw man. In fact, Jesus came to do something brand new. It's a living man. It's no longer a stone heart, but a living heart. And it's the king taking the throne saying, behold, I'm making all things new. He's not saying I'm revamping. It's like I'm reviving new. Second week, we looked at what drives this new movement. It's a new commandment that Jesus gives us where he says, the new commandment I give you, that you love one another, not love God. That's the old new one. You love one another as God loves you. And we trust in God that we would go out there and do likewise as he challenged the good Samaritan to do. And I hope you've been challenged this week as you see some people, some, some interesting people in your life to go and love them. Week number three, we're going to allow Jesus to challenge our hearts even further by discovering a new way to love. Now, in order to explain to you why I think we need to talk about Jesus revealing a new way to love, not just the fact that we should love, but he reveals a new way to love, is basically just in this little example. Anybody of you guys love food? Food lovers in the house? Okay. Cool. I'm a big pizza fan. I love pizza. I'm passionate about pizza. Any pizza hands in the house? Any people? Yeah, baby. I'm passionate about, I know some people passionate about a choppy. I'm also passionate about a choppy, okay? But pizza is really something that I enjoy. I love the art of making pizza. I mean, my pizza dough starts off 48 hours before I actually make my pizza. That's, that's commitment, guys. Do you see what's happening here? Okay, and there's only one thing that I love more than the art of making pizza, and that's the art of eating pizza. Okay, so and I see some of you guys might be in on that one with me. And then there's one thing that I love even more than eating pizza, sharing pizza. So when the guys come over and I make pizza and everything, it's really amazing. I really love making pizza. And I'm guessing there are some passions that you guys also have, whether it's food or pizza or whatever it may be, that you really love. And in, in fact, I want you to quickly tell the person next to you, what do you really love? What do you love doing in this world? What are you passionate about? What do you love? Quickly tell the person next to you. Husbands, this is a great opportunity in your life. <laughs> and if you are single and there's a beautiful lady sitting next to you, this is also a great opportunity. <laughs> great, 
Guys, so I'm guessing you shared something that you're really excited about and that you're really passionate about. But can I just say, in our culture, something is missing. Because as much as I can tell you guys about my love for pizza making, pizza eating, pizza sharing, in the same breath and in the same sentence, I can talk to you about I love my wife. How do you think she feels about that one? I love pizza. Honey, I love you. She's like, what do you mean? Hopefully in a different way, with a greater love than you would have ever imagined. You would give pizza up in a heartbeat for me. That's the level of love that you would have for me. You get what I'm saying? So in our culture, we use this word love for basically everything. I, I love pizza. I love my dog. I love music. I love, but I also love my wife. I love Jesus. And what, is, what does love really mean? What's the heart of love? What does it mean to actually really love? And that's what we're going to be discovering today. And in order to do that, I know some of you guys, Bible junkies sitting here knowing the truth so well, will tell me I'm going to talk to you guys about the three words the Bible used for love. Agape, philios, and eros, eros, romantic love, filios, family love, friendship love, and then agape, godly love. And I'm not going to do that today. In fact, I'm going to go even deeper. I want you guys to grasp the heart, the, the source of love itself. So I hope you guys are ready. Put on your seatbelt. It's going to be interesting. So here we go. 1 John 4 verse 8 says the following. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Now you've heard this verse quoted quite a few times before. And always when I quote it, I use the example of water, saying I have water versus I am water. And that's the one thing that this verse gives us. It tells us what's the very nature of God. God and his essence is love. That means he doesn't have it, he is it. Whenever you come to him, you always find it. So it describes his nature. But something else that this that this little three words also does, is it tells us who defines love. You know, usually I wanted to, when I spoke the first time to the team about this, I said to the guys, guys, I wanted to say, let's trust God to come and redefine our picture of love. And in fact, I quoted it wrong because he's not redefining it. We are redefining it the whole time. He defines it. So if you want to know what love is, you need to look at who God is. That's what I'm saying. You don't take your picture of love and you put God into your picture of love box and he needs to fit into that. One of the ways we do this, have you guys ever heard this little saying? People would nowadays, especially in our culture, say this. How can a God of love? And then you fill in the dots. Do You know what's happening there. You're taking your picture of love and you're saying, God, you fit into my view of love. God is saying, I'm stopping you in your tracks. You do not have the space to define it. Love is not a feeling. It's not even an act of your will. Love is a person. And who he is defines what love is. And I can see, Woo, big one. Yes, it's a big one. So in other words, today we're going to explore what is love by looking at who God is. As he reveals himself to us, we'll discover the dimensions of his love. And you'll also see how this love changes you and the world around you radically. So let's dive in. The first aspect or dimension of God's love that we find, we find in the fact that God is just. Yes, you heard it right. 
God is a judge and he's going to judge. He is just. That's usually where the church gets very quiet. So if we didn't use the water cooler now, it would be like, but it's true. God is just. And in God's justice, we see his compassionate love in action. This is where we see compassion. Because God is compassionate about every single injustice that you find in this world. Now, let me just quickly say this. Justice should not be confused with fairness. God is not fair. It might be a shocking moment to you today. He is not. He is just. And the reason why he's not fair, if he was fair, everybody would drive the same car. Hopefully a Ferrari. And then if he was fair, everybody would have the same salary. Hopefully Bill Gates' salary. If he was fair, everybody would have the same talents. You guys get what I'm saying? And therefore I can't sing as beautiful as Nalim. God is unfair. Yeah? He's not fair. He's just. That's who he is. Parents, I've good news for you. <laughs> when your kids come to you and they're like, this is fair. It's not fair. Who come, who come? They say, buddy, let me teach you a wonderful lesson in life. Life is not fair and God is also not fair. He's just <laughs> and you can rest. So what is justice? If God is just, what does, it, what does it mean when he exercises his justice? Well, justice is this process of putting everything right. I like the word just as it should be. Justice it should be. You get what I'm saying? Justice. He's putting it all right. God is compassionate about everything that's broken, everything that's not working, everything that's not in line with how he made it to be. And he's exercising his compassion for justice. He wants to heal and restore everything that's broken. And that's such good news for all of us, especially when you're going through times where you see that happening, whether it's sickness or pain or injustice that's happening to you from someone else. His compassionate love is on the move. The other part of this justice thing is it costs us. Have you ever heard a story about someone playing cricket and then a window breaks? Or thinking that David, like me, going for Goliath, and the next moment he went for the window. And dad looks at you and he's like, who's going to pay for this broken window? Who's going to pay? for what's broken, who's going to suffer for that? And that's literally where this word compassion comes from. The word passion means a willingness to suffer, and the word com means suffering with. Whatever you're passionate about, you give up for. So God gives up, and he's passionate about what he made and putting it all right. The second aspect of God's love that we find in him revealing his nature is his truth. Okay? So in God's truth, we see the trustworthiness of his love in action. God shares the truth because he loves us. He doesn't give you lies. In fact, a little interesting thing that I didn't even share in the first service. So you guys get something extra, okay? Just sit back, you're going to get it now. But do you know why God can't lie? Why he always speaks the truth? Because he spoke the world into existence. In other words, if God says, it is. He cannot say, this is a tree, the moment he says it, it turns into a tree. It will be a tree and it has been a tree forever because he created with his words. He cannot lie. He gives you truth. And every loving parent on this planet will never tell their kids, 
and grow them up intentionally, setting them up for failure by giving them lies. And God is a loving father that speaks truth, that sets you free to enjoy the world as he created it to be. So in his truth, we see trustworthy love in action. The third aspect, and this is the one that we hear the most, and I can see you guys are warm, so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm getting this sermon going here. But it's his grace. And in God's grace, we see the accepting side of his love in action. The fact that he accepts and embraces his creation just as it is, where it is. You see that in action. You guys have heard me use this story so many times. I'm going to share it just again. Short little illustration to describe the difference between grace and forgiveness. And I use the story of a father waking up, hearing somebody in the kitchen, and then he goes down and there he finds a young man, 18 years, living on the street, trying to get some food because he's hungry. And the guy immediately just says, sorry, sorry, help, help. What, what, I don't have food. I've never had a dad. I'm super hungry. That's, that's what I'm doing here. And then you, with a gun in your hand, having all the power, just like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. I'm not going to be in big trouble. And then the next moment in the story, you hear something horrifying. You hear your wife crying, a deep cry, and you can hear great grief. And then you look down the corridor and you see a lifeless body in her hands. And it's your six-month-old baby boy, the one that you've been trusting God for for so long. And what happened was this young man came in, your boy started crying. And then in trying to silence your boy that he doesn't wake up the house, he suffocated your boy and he killed him. And then you stand before a few choices. The first one is revenge. You take the gun, you take his life. Second one is justice. You call the police and they come in and they let justice have its way. Third one, forgiveness. It's almost impossible to think this, but you say, I will not hold this against you, but I never want to see you again. Many times people think that's Christianity. Like God just had this one moment and he just decided, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not holding this against you, but watch it, booty. That's not Christianity. The fourth one is grace. You look at that boy and you say, you never had a dad. I don't have a boy. I don't have a son. I will adopt you. You come and stay in my house. I will love you as my own. And everything that belongs to my boy is now yours. You get his place 100%. That is grace. That is amazing acceptance. And all three of these aspects is needed. God's love is needed to change our world around, to change us around. And what I want to do for the rest of our time together today is I want to go through a little story in the book of John, chapter 8. And you guys can read with me. It's going to be from verse 3. It's going to be on there. And it's about someone in a desperate space, in desperate need for the love of God to show up. And I want you guys to see the stark difference between a straw man version of Christianity Versus the real man one. So let's dive in and read together. It's a story of the woman that was caught in adultery. It says the following. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, 
This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Now, just quickly, a few things. Let me just give you guys the setting. The setting is not Jesus with his disciples there in some or other back alley corner space and a few gangs of uh, the, the Pharisee gang walking in, bringing the lady. It's like, it's, this is not a private hidden space. This is the temple courts where this is happening. Like all of Israel gathers here. This is Jerusalem. This is big. Firstly, very public. Secondly, this lady was caught in the act of adultery, meaning she's probably not even proper dressed. And her sin and brokenness, guilt, is displayed for everyone to see publicly. Whole world can do that. Have you ever been in a space where someone just wants to accuse you of something that you've done wrong? It's not even public. It's maybe right there in the back alley. What's your first reaction? This is not my heart. Or you try and reason your way out of that painful guilt that might be coming your way. Imagine where this girl is. And you know what's doing it? It's a straw man version of Christianity that loves to put guilt at the center of the message. Look at this lady. She's guilty. She's the reason. That's the primary focus. And yes, a part of that, what they're saying is true. She has made a choice that's lying and going towards that direction, but that will never heal and transform the world as we know it. That's the straw man version. Can do nothing. It's dead. Only accuses you. If your version of Christianity is guilt-driven and putting guilt in the center, you have the wrong message. Look at Jesus stepping in. You know what I find so interesting is Jesus doesn't put guilt in the middle and law in the middle. He puts love in the middle. Listen to this, verse 6. They were using this question as a trap. They wanted to trap Jesus on the basis of accusing him for being soft towards this girl or whatever it may be. So do you know what's happening here? This is supposed to be a judgment moment for this lady, for something that she's done wrong. What are the Pharisees making it? They're making it a judgment moment for Jesus. Who's getting put on the spot now? Who needs to take, what injustice is not happening right here in this moment towards Jesus? Never mind the discrimination from the Pharisee side. As you'll see now, Jesus puts them in their place like, oh, look, she's sin. Oh, she's a sinner. And then Jesus like, those of you who have no sin, come, cast the first stone. How are you superior? You are all on the same level. Jesus steps in. And you know what's so interesting for me is Jesus is not doing the following. He's not saying, ah, no, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not me. I didn't do this. It's not my problem. It's like, this is a suffering and exposing moment for her. Everybody around checking it out. No, what does he do? He absorbs that injustice. He shows compassion. He suffers with her 
in this moment. He steps into that accusation towards him. Shows love. I want to ask you, are there people in your world, your colleagues, people that you would like, if my pastor sees me with this person, I will look like so stupid. <laughs> you know, the clubbing guy or the, that person or whatever you've labeled them. Are there maybe people that God is challenging you to go and stand next to that you could have never seen yourself next to? To dive into their world and to suffer with them through this hardship, like Jesus is doing with this lady. We all know the story. He says, Let any one of you who is without any sin be the first to throw the stone at her. And then he went down again on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus left with the women still standing there. I find that very interesting. That's the older guys, you know, not the ignorant young guys like, hey, I'm not a sinner. I can never sin. I'm amazing. The old manna, they know. <laughs> Throw it down. I'm not fit to do this. Just imagine for a moment. It is the son of God, the unblemished lamb, who has all the right to judge. I can imagine the sarcasm. Hmm, yes, you want to judge. I can judge. Let's talk about judgment. Who of you guys have the right to judge? Let's just put it out there. And they walk away. The next thing Jesus does is he gives her grace. He shows acceptance. Verse 10, he says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Where's these guys? Has no one condemned you? She answers, no one, sir. No one has condemned me. And then Jesus says the words that we never think God will say to us. But I want you to hear it today. Neither do I condemn you. I accept you. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And that's the words of Jesus. I want you to hear it. He accepts you where you are. He loves you. He opens up his arms wide as we just sang. He says, come home. But you know what? Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He moves even one little step further. That you see full transformation come in. And for those guys who love the truth, here he comes. Jesus has been a, he's putting a little bit of truth for you. Look right here at the end of verse 11. Jesus declares, go now and leave your life of sin. And Jesus would not be loving if he didn't reveal that truth. If he didn't acknowledge that a woman's moment of sin, choosing to directly walk away from how God made this world, affects her whole community. Families are impacted and broken through the decisions that this lady is making. And he's saying, you might think it's bad luck that's killing your life. No, it's not. It's you rejecting the truth. You will never be free if you continue to do that. You're looking for freedom, but you will never find it if you don't embrace the truth. I'm giving you trustworthy truth. I made you, and I know how you work. Don't listen to desires. Don't listen to emotions. Don't listen to the world. Listen to me. And can I make a little note here? Many times the Pharisees come and they put guilt in the middle. In the name of truth. Say, it's the law. 
This is what should be happening. But the fruit of what they're doing is not truth. It is condemnation. Does the word say that the truth will, what does it say? Set you free. It does not say the truth will condemn you. So guys, when this family speaks truth as Jesus does it in love, it should set people free. Do you see the road Jesus walks to get people to that place of freedom? He first suffers with, he first embraces and gives them a place to belong and then finally helps them to see that they can get way more freedom if they trust him. The more they trust him, the more they put their faith in his word, the more freedom they will have. So may you go and love. Maybe I should end like this. Two ways. One verse right at the beginning. Doxaday Central, a new command I give you, that you would love one another in this city as I have loved you through my justice, my truth, and my grace. And then we see a city transformed and turned upside down. We're now going to have an opportunity to have communion. And Jesus does do communion. It's amazing that he tells his disciples as he breaks the bread and gives out those little pieces of wine, for little pieces of wine now for him. It was like a big jug. And he says the following words. He says, guys, do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is only for people that have already experienced and embraced this love of Jesus. And it has transformed you. You've met him. Whether it was in that public court when he came to save you and keep you and lift you up. Whether it was in a desperate situation where you really needed him and you discovered his love. For most of us, it's always in the valleys where we meet the king in a new way. But if you have, today I want you to remember. I've asked the worship team, they're going to be playing a song. And as they're just creating a space for us to remember the love of Jesus, I want to guide you on that road. So if you won't mind just closing your eyes for a moment before I'm going to invite you to this table to come and remember actively. I want you to remember how Jesus loved you. Showing his great compassion. Writing the greatest wrong that the world has ever experienced. He was writing the relationship between you and God. He put it just as it should be by giving up his life, by walking that road of suffering. He did it so that you can have that. Secondly, he revealed the truth of your heart, whether you like it or not, that whenever we get the opportunity in our own power, with our own capacity, we always want to kill God. That's the truth. Every time he's asking me to walk a certain way and I say no, it's like as I'm wishing you dead, I am the Lord of my own life. 
But in that same moment, he revealed even greater truth. That while you want to kill him, while you're rejecting him, while you're sinning and running away from him, he chooses to willingly lay down his life. It's not a must-do. It's a want-to. I once had the conversation with someone that's on our team as well, and they just mentioned, you know what, like God doesn't have a choice. He must do this. And I stopped them in that moment, and I said, guys, no, 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 you're missing it. It's not a God must. It's a God want. Jesus says it so clearly. I willingly lay down my life because I love you. You are mine. And I have called you. I have redeemed you. Calling you by name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you with that in your heart. Won't you come and remember the love of the one that transformed and changed your life around by sharing communion this morning with this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I hope you realize this one thing, that, that as we sing the song, as God is reckless chasing us, that is the whole point. We don't have to run after it. He runs after us. And my prayer today is this thing, that, that His justice will run after you in your life, that He will come and set things right, and that, and that His truth will come and open your eyes to a fuller truth that is Him, a fullness of who He is and what He wants for you. And that His grace will carry you all the way. That His grace will open up something new in your heart that you've never known before. And that this love isn't just for you, but it's for the person next to you. It's for the person at work. It's for the person in your household. It's for the person you bribe with on a Saturday night. It's for everyone around you to experience the goodness of who God is, because He is love. And so today we pray, Jesus, and we say thank you. Thank you that you come and show us this picture of love, the truth of love, so that we can live in it, so that we can live and set things right in your name, so that we could live and, and know the truth of what you want for us, so we can live and have grace to the world around us. Give the same grace that you've given us. Well, we pray today that that fullness of love would just come and fill us. That we don't try and chase after it, but you, Father God, chase us. And you come and fill us so that we could live fully. Amen. 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 Don't you want to turn to the person next to you and say, you look full of love. A lot of love. You filled with the love of Jesus.
What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.